0: the National Grief Center for Children and Families in Portland, Oregon. For those of you who have been longtime listeners of the show, today's guest will be a very familiar voice. Leslie Barber first came on the show a few years ago to talk about the support she needed and often didn't receive when her husband Steve died of cancer, leaving her to raise their daughter Emily on her own. Then, last March, just as COVID-19 was taking hold in the U.S., Leslie joined us again to talk about carrying existing grief into the scary and unknown landscape of a pandemic. This time around, Leslie talks with us about work and what it means to create a workplace that is grief-inclusive. Her company, Grief Warrior, offers training and coaching to business leaders, managers, and those who work in HR on how to support their employees who are grieving This is something that's always been important, but after the last year, which brought grief to the forefront for many of us, individually, organizationally, and collectively, Leslie's commitment to making workplaces safe and supportive for those who are grieving is needed more than ever. Leslie, welcome back to Grief Out Loud. This is uh, show number three that you're a part of, so I'm looking forward to continuing our conversation. Lucky number three. It's great to see you, Jana. (laughs) Looking forward to our conversation too. And I know in the first two episodes that we did together, we talked a lot about your personal experiences with grief of your husband dying and raising your daughter and and just about what it was like at the beginning of the pandemic, taking your personal grief into that experience, um, forecasting what it might be like. And, and today we're going to talk a lot more about work and how grief shows up at work what employers can be doing to support employees who are grieving in work and outside of work. So talk a little bit about your process over this last year of taking your company, Grief Warrior, and moving it into doing a lot of leadership training and workshops on grief. Uh, Kind of what, what prompted moving into that direction?
1: Well, first of all, work is very personal, right? Most of us have to go back to work even after a very significant death. Um, I worked for a company when Steve died that was always on one of the top 10 best places to work. And even there, the bereavement leave was three days. So he died on a Sunday. I would have been expected back at work on Thursday. Um, And that was lucky. Many people work for companies that offer no bereavement leave or they don't offer bereavement leave for the type of grief uh, event that has happened, so there's a lot of judgment around bereavement leave, and so um, when I did end up going back to work, um, it was very personal. And over the last year, what I think we've seen in so many work environments is how personal work actually is. That many of us who were forced home as a result of the pandemic suddenly we're in our living rooms or our bedrooms or our kitchens doing our work. And even though work has, has always been a big part of our lives over the pandemic, our lives and work completely merged. And when that happened, all of the um, grief that we were feeling really flooded in. And, and as it turns out, since we're human, we don't leave grief at the door when we start work. It's all a part of us. So that was, that's a big part of what the transition has been in, in really opening up Grief Warrior um, you know, to work. It was It was always part of the plan. It accelerated when the pandemic happened and suddenly managers and leaders I was talking to were coming to our conversations and bursting into tears because they just felt like there was so much crushing weight of grief for themselves and around them in the workplace.
0: Yeah, I know at the beginning, you know, people were saying, you're not working from home, you're surviving a pandemic from home. And, and eventually, someone said, like, you're not working from home, you're living at work. And I was like, yes. Oh, my gosh, that makes so much sense. And also recognizing that not everyone during this past year has had the capacity to work at home. But for the majority of people who have been able to do that, Prior to working from home, if you did have your own personal grief, there might be some amount of commute for you to separate maybe the activators for your grief that are in your home. And then you would have that time to commute and try to package it up as much as you could before you got to work. Not that that always worked very well, but there was at least just a little bit of spacing. And now I think about you sit in your home. You turn on your computer, you log on to your Zoom meeting, you might be surrounded by photos of the person who died or things that remind you of the person who died or where you got the phone call of the person who died, and then you're trying to work too. So just not having that physical separation, I can see how that would have brought grief so much more to the forefront for managers and and CEOs and folks in charge of companies. What's your sense of, and you talked about this a little bit, Like, why is it so important to be able to talk about grief in a work setting? Well, people are hurting. And if people are hurting and companies are full of
1: people, then companies are full of people hurting. It's, we don't, you know, we don't, like I said earlier, leave our grief at the door when we enter the company, whether we want to or not. And you're absolutely right. As we're talking about people who were forced home to do their work, I also want to acknowledge all of the grief of everyone who was then having to still go to work in hospitals or in grocery stores or, um, you know, transportation, that there was a huge amount of grief coming with them as they went to their work. Um, So it's not unique to any one particular, um, you know, style of work. We've all been carrying a huge amount of grief, not only from the loss of a human, um, but the loss of a pet or the loss of normalcy or predictability. You know, there were many relationships that fell apart in the pandemic. There's a lot of loss going around. Um, Many companies had to close offices. They had to restructure. There were people who lost their jobs, financial instability, not to mention racial inequity um, and everything that we've gone through over the last year. So people are coming to their workplace, whether that's in their home or somewhere else, with this huge amount of grief. And when people feel supported in companies, research shows that they are 38% more engaged. And that is what every company wants. They want engaged, employees. And so what we what we saw over time is that when someone comes back into the workplace and nobody knows what to say and nobody knows what to do, in fact sometimes they avert their eyes or they ignore it because they think it's respectful that that griever feels instantly disengaged from a community of people that they used to feel was almost a family or at least a team, right? That they, many of us have really good friends at work. And when people can't can't talk to us about uh, the grief experience, we can instantly feel disengaged. So although it is good humanity, it's also good business for, you know, leaders and managers and HR professionals to care deeply about their grieving employees and to provide the skills needed by those people's managers and leaders to be able to interact with them in a healthy way.
0: A few years ago, this phrase started popping up of bringing your whole self to work, or we support our employees whole selves at work. Can you talk a little bit about like, what does that term mean? And how is it getting operationalized? Like, how is that? What does it it doesn't mean anything in the work environment.
1: Well, it's definitely an HR and culture trend to talk about. We want you to bring your whole self to work. And the pandemic really pressurized that because the question is, well, do you really want me to bring my whole self to work? Or do you just want me to bring my joyful self and my creative self and my innovative self? But in fact, any of that negative stuff, we're going to kick you out the building and hope that you just cure yourself of that. And then don't we're going to give you space, and we'll be back when. That we'll be here when you when you come back. Um, so the pandemic really put pressure, I think, on that statement of whole self to work. And we do joyful so well in companies, right When somebody has um, gets engaged, we celebrate them. when somebody gets a promotion, we celebrate them. When somebody gets married, we throw them an engagement party. We do all these things at work. But when the worst of thing you know if times happen when somebody's loved one dies, None of us know what to do. We just are totally stumped. And that's one of the reasons I started doing this kind of work with my team with grief warrior was to give people the tools and the skills as managers and leaders to be able to be with people in their worst moments so that you can actually bring your whole self to work because just like there's beauty in winter as there is in summer, Right? There is absolute beauty and strength and, and innovation and creativity that comes in the darkness of grief. We just um, don't know how to be with it.
0: And there's there's like the skills that we might need to support someone who's grief, like what to say or what not to say. But then there's a bigger picture of like the responsibility that leaders and managers have towards or for employees who are grieving. What, what do you think? What are some of those responsibilities that they have? Look, I believe that the responsibility of a manager
1: and leader is to be human, to be compassionate, to be courageous. And this is hard. I'm not saying this is easy for someone to be with someone. Grief is uncomfortable. It's awkward. It's, um, it's messy. And in manager trainings, we're often taught right? How to, um, how, to, how to get the hurdle out of the way of the runner. We're taught how to problem solve. We're taught how to fix. And grief is not something that you can problem solve or fix, nor does it need to be at all. And so we have to shift the way that we think about managing a grieving employee Um, away from let me solve the problem, let me cheer them up, or let me ignore it, or let me push them out of the building because I'm giving them quote unquote space. And instead, let me be human and actually be with them and witness this and actively listen. There are things we can do. And I believe that these are skills that should be taught to managers and leaders.
0: How do you respond if someone says, well, I'm I'm not a therapist? Like I'm a manager, I'm not here to listen to someone's problems, I'm here to help get the problems fixed. (laughs) Like, how do you talk with managers about that?
1: Well, I believe that our culture has handed all emotions to therapists. And I'm a huge believer in therapy. um, and, And we partner with therapists all the time. But when it comes down to a grief event, somebody has died, many, many of the responses of the emotions, like these reactions are natural and normal, right? We only cross into diagnosable states a smaller percentage of the time. So many of us can be with other people, can be in peer-to-peer support um, situations like the Dougie Center because these are normal, natural reactions. And so managers and leaders, they get to let go of the idea that they're gonna fix something and and problem solve something, but they do need to take the responsibility on that they need to be with the grieving employee, witness it, support them from the perspective of acknowledgement and engagement. So this is not about solving their problems. This is about being with our team members when they are in their worst struggle. They're still the same humans. They are naturally creative. They are whole people who are going through a very difficult time. And managers and leaders can learn, just like we learn engineering and coding and marketing and sales, we can learn how to be with people in those kinds of moments.
0: What are some of the skills that you think about wanting to train managers in? I mean, we talked about the responsibilities and talked about the general like presence and being human, but are there specific things that you hope that managers will learn how to do?
1: Yes, and it may sound a little bit simplistic, but I'm really hoping that managers will learn how to listen. In a lot of our corporate um, environments, we're kind of taught to come up with the next best question or to advocate our perspective or to be the loudest one in the room, right? And and with a grieving employee, this is really about seeing their broken heart and about witnessing what they're going through and about them wanting to be seen and heard in their pain, right, and not be othered in their pain. And so for a manager to maintain the kind of relationship that most managers want, a relationship of trust and of credibility and of connection and maintaining the engagement of that employee, in order to do that, they need to know how to witness, how to be silent, how to listen actively, because listening is not passive. Listening is an active assertive activity, right? So listening and then engaging with curiosity. And those are the types of skills that we teach in our trainings and we have people practice them. And time and time again, they come out, the the participants of our trainings come out of them feeling, wow, this is the most human I have ever felt at work. I'm feeling heard by my manager, by somebody else here. I'm also feeling connected to the pain that so many of my colleagues are going through that I didn't even know was happening. Sometimes in our culture, we think that sharing our own story of pain or grief with somebody who's hurting can be helpful. And in some cases it can be, but in many cases it can actually land in a harmful way. So one example I give you, around that, I went to the dental hygienist um, about a uh, couple months after Steve died. And you know, that moment where they've got all their hands in your mouth and you just like can't <laughs> say anything and, and she, you know, so I'm in a very vulnerable position as we are at work, but I'm in a very vulnerable position in that moment. And the dental hygienist says to me, you know, my sister had stage four cancer and, you know, they told her at UCSF that she was going to die, that there was nothing more they could do. By the way, my husband was being treated at UCSF. And then she said to me, um, you know, I we took her to MD Anderson and they cured her. Do you think that if you had taken your husband to MD Anderson, that he would still be alive? Now, there are so many things wrong with what she said, Um, I know her intention was good. I know she had a good heart. She was coming with love and compassion. Um, I never recommend problem solving after somebody has died. I always think that's a bad idea. But even so, mentioning her story of her sister who lived is not a way to connect with me. Right. That's what she was trying to do. And that is so often what we do. And so we have to be very careful about that, especially Um, with grievers that in a work environment with a manager or leader, connection is not built on you one-upping them on their story or on telling a story of someone you know who died or who lived or whatever the story is. Connection is built on you listening and hearing them and acknowledging where they are.
0: So we've talked a lot about managers and leaders and what they can be doing and what their responsibilities are when employees are grieving. And then I think about the team, like the peers, the coworkers, the colleagues, and thinking there may be listeners out there who are on a team with someone who's grieving or are on a team and they're the person who's grieving. And what are some things you're seeing or hearing that teammates, coworkers, colleagues can be doing to support one another?
1: We work with teams who, especially around um, a a grieving employee. So if there's a team member who's had a very significant death in their family, um, we have been called in to those teams and it's an honor to do it. It's amazing to watch how a team of 10, 12 people can have extremely broad reactions to the conversation of of grief. You get everything from, you know, extraordinary stoicism where sometimes, you know, we're doing this all on zoom right now. I'm not totally sure if they've actually frozen or if they're just so like, don't call on me. Don't call on me. Don't call on me. Like they're just so stoic um, all the way to, you know, the extreme sobbing and I want to fix it. And I want to know what's going on. And then in the middle, we'll hear team members say things, like, um, you know, I just want, you know, it'll be maybe a person of faith who really believes that their loved ones in a better place or with God. And they just want to tell that person that, and they just want to call them and tell them that it's going to be okay. Or you'll hear other people saying, I just want to fix it. Um, you'll hear other people saying, if there was a trauma, I, I have this vision in my head of what the trauma is must have been like, and I want to know if I'm right. So it's all, it's everything there, right? All with love, all with this sense of, we value this team member, this person's important to us, um, but, but we want to be able to fix it for them. We want to, we want to, make this better and we're afraid that we can't and so oftentimes what team members need are again those kinds of skills and that knowledge of what is grief what can you expect um, you know what are coping mechanisms that any of you may be experiencing what are the emotions of grief if if this employee the grieving employee comes back and has more explosions or is more angry or has less diplomacy You know, what do we do with that? And so there's just, it's just a really wonderful opportunity to let team members kind of get that out. And then to, I I often think about it as, um, you know, a circle with the griever in the middle. We talk to teams about the all of the compassion needs to go one way toward the griever. So, you know, all of your love goes to the griever. And then if you need to have a conversation about, what you just experienced with the griever, then you call one of the other people on this team and you talk to them about it and you say, you know, if, if I'm talking to griever Anne, um, I may call you Jana, and say, wow, I was just talking to Ann and my heart is broken and I just wanted to fix it. And, and I need to get this out to you. Can I tell you my story that I wanted to tell Ann that I'm not going to tell Ann and you just, you just do it that way so that the griever gets to be heard and seen in their space and that we don't Im- you know, apply the, the common laws of corporations, which is to solve every problem. These are not problems to be solved. And so that's that's a lot of what we do with teams.
0: I love the idea that you don't necessarily have to suppress completely whatever your own unique way of responding to people is in that You know, we all grieve differently and we all respond and support people differently, but we can have an awareness that our inclination of how we would offer support might not be the most helpful thing for the person who's grieving. So we can take that impetus to somebody else. Exactly. <laughs> Here's all the advice I wanted to give, but I didn't do it to the person, but I got to just get it out of my system. Absolutely. So I really appreciate that. It's like you can redirect those impulses and not put them right on the person who's grieving. Exactly.
1: And, and I, and people will say, well, so, you know, I can't stop the tears. Fine. Cry. Cry. That's fine. Um, What we're trying to avoid though is the reverse comfort that often happens for grievers where they are then given more grief from an empathizer and they then have to carry that. And so we're trying to stop that cycle. And yes, that there are other other people you can talk to or reach out to, or we talk about other tools. You know, I always have a red pen on my desk because sometimes I just need to scratch it out, you know, make a, a, a red drawing really quickly. Cause that just for me really helps me get a lot of, um you know, the anger or sadness that I may be feeling on behalf of someone else out. Um, or sometimes we suggest, you know, go for a walk, go for a run. Uh, Put your hand over your heart, whatever you need to be able to stay present for the griever, and then to be able to take whatever's coming up for you and, and put it somewhere else with someone else.
0: So there's always the third entity when I think about companies, particularly bigger companies, HR, human resources. And so what, what do you see their role, HR's role in moving forward with, with bereavement support, policies, practices, procedures? Yes. So
1: um, the policies around bereavement in the United States are really lacking, I know there are a few companies like Facebook, for example, because of Sheryl Sandberg's experience with her husband dying, they've moved their bereavement from, you know, five days to 20 days. But there's still an assumption that you grieve for a period of time, and then you're over it, right? They're still like, okay, you can have 20 days, and then you come back and everything's fine. And so we do try to work with, um, with companies with HR departments, to rethink how we address bereavement from a much broader perspective. There are many progressive companies out there that have taken maternity leave to paternity leave, for example. And there's uh, many companies that allow their employees to take that time anytime they want to up to a year, for example. So instead of having to take paternity leave the first two weeks of the baby's life or six weeks or whatever it is, they are able to take it you know, a year later or six months later. And so just giving people the flexibility, you know, also, uh, you know, modeling, role modeling, taking, uh, mental wellness days, you know, giving yourself breaks, making sure that people are getting out in nature, that we're doing, you know, walking meetings, HR really needs to model that for people because so often I think HR, you know, some, and I, I have so many friends who work in HR and, and there's so much goodness in their hearts, but many times we think of human resources as inhuman resources. And we want, you know, that people want to change that. They're not even calling it HR anymore. They're calling it people and culture, right. To try to shift the perception people have. And, and there was no one more intensely impacted, I think, within a company over the last year than the people and culture folks. And so they've really had to up their game in how they're able to support the other people in their organization. And we've worked with, with groups that had no support for themselves. So it's really important that HR professionals get the tools and the skills that they need in order to be able to be with all of the pain that's happening within, you know, the humans in their company. So we, we do trainings, you know, focused on HR professionals as a way to really talk to them about, um, about that, that challenge that they have, how do they have a poker face, but also have people here, you know, feel heard or seen, do they really need the poker face times are changing.
0: And then the grievers themselves, you know, we've talked a lot about what, companies can be doing to create a supportive environment. And then you've got probably the majority of our listeners are like, okay, I'm that person grieving who's in my workplace. Like, what can they do to advocate for themselves and their needs in that environment?
1: I really want to honor that we put a burden on grievers going back into the workplace. First of all, the fact that you would get one to three days Bereavement means that you have to advocate for more time. I think most people have to go back to their HR department within, you know, one or two days of of their person dying to try to advocate for more time. That's really unfortunate. Um, A lot of companies also view things on a case-by-case basis. So the managers are all over the place in terms of their own compassion and courage and skill set for being able to navigate this with a griever. So oftentimes we're putting a really heavy load on grievers to come back in. Um, so some of the things that I that I would suggest for your listeners when they are thinking about going back into work, um, consider the work environment. Obviously, right now, um, many people may be at home, um, but if you're not, if you're going back into a work environment, what can be created for you? Could you advocate for an office with a closed door so that you have more space um, for big emotions? Could you advocate for, you know, for for working a different shift? Um, Unfortunately, you do have to advocate for yourself um, and ask for help. Um, the, the kind of good news is that most people want to be helpful. They just have no idea what to do. So in a way we have to ask for that kind of help. And I would guess 90% of the time that you will get the help that you're asked for. Um, for those of you who are not, uh, in like deep, deep grief in this moment, Go to your companies, go to the places you work right now, and ask HR what they do um, when when people have a significant death happen in their family. Advocate now for the next person this is going to happen to, because that's what we need as grievers. We need people, you know, stepping up. I used to think of all my little angels that were around me after Steve died. I would call gosh, I would call like, you know, State Farm because of his car and wanting to talk to them about insurance. And it turned out the woman who answered my call, um, her husband had died 17 years prior. And then I called Citibank about something related to our credit cards Um, And the woman who answered her husband had died five years prior was like, I had these little angels all over the place, kind of thinking about me. That's what we have to end up being for each other, um, paying it forward, even if we didn't get those kinds of um, benefits ourselves. So if you work in a company, you know, I really ask that you, that if you can, you know, go in and advocate for the grievers that are coming next.
0: What makes your approach stand out or be different than just saying, hey, use our employee assistance program, which many companies have – employees have access to having, you know, short-term individual counseling sessions, and what's different? Well, we're not therapists,
1: and so I really advocate for therapy if um, if listeners feel like they need to, you know, talk to a therapist – Um, You know, we, I really believe in employee assistance programs and hope they get utilized. Um, What my team does is focus more on the learning and development of the managers and and leaders and HR professionals. We've even done work with independent contributors. It's literally any human who works in an environment, you know, in a corporate environment, an organizational environment. And wants to learn these skills. So our focus is less on supporting a griever directly and more on supporting the griever by educating the people around the griever. We focus on the empathizers, the people who who surround that person in their corporation.
0: I I just had this image come to mind. It might be totally off, but I was thinking, you know, you can teach people how to swim, And you or and you can create the pool, warm up the water, get the lifeguard, get the water on the side, make sure the towels are all dry and ready to go. (laughs) And so it seems like your work is really around creating the, making sure the environment is safe and supportive and less directly on teaching someone how to swim in their grief.
1: We fundamentally believe that grievers will grieve and there are incredible organizations like the Dougie Center to support the griever directly. Um, What we're trying to do is recognize that those grievers go back into the workplace every day and they go back into a place that has no idea how to be with them or how how to address their grief in the workplace. And that causes harm. To the griever and so instead of focusing on the grievers and, and I'll acknowledge that when we do our trainings um, you know people will start with their own grief right they'll start with can I be with my own grief am I present for myself and and they'll start with that but ultimately our goal is to create better cultures within organizations that are more grief inclusive that are more welcoming to people with with different experiences, than what we're used to. And so grievers will grieve and, and we honor that. And we want to, I'm not trying to make the life of a griever better, Jana, I'm trying to make it less awful. And, and that is really what we're trying to do by educating and giving tools to the people around the grievers.
0: Now, Leslie, you've already mentioned some really helpful things for managers and leaders and people and culture departments to be thinking about in terms of listening and being present and being flexible in terms of schedules and things like that. Are there any last, like, this is just like the thing you just wish every leader, manager, company, employee knew of how to support uh, a grieving coworker or a grieving employee?
1: Yes. I've shared some of the tools like witnessing and acknowledging that we train on, but you know, an easy one that comes up a lot is to remember that the way that you might cope with something is unique to you. That may not be the same way someone else copes with something. Um, You may be having this similar experience or underlying emotions, but how you actually cope with it might be different. I'll give a couple of examples. When the pandemic started, I swear half of my friends were clearing out their basement, organizing their homes, giving stuff away. It was like the home edit became the number one show because everyone wanted to take their chaos and line it up in rainbow colored you know, boxes. Right? We were all trying to bring order to our chaos. I shouldn't say we were all, many people were. And then there was the rest of us like me who was staring at the wall and did not get the memo that i was supposed to be cleaning out anything because that wasn't how my body was willing to cope this happens in the workplace as well you get a lot of people in the workplace who just want to throw themselves into work right they want to just work you know 18 hours a day and distract themselves they're not ready for the grief they want to put it in a box and put it in the basement and hope that it just disintegrates. We all know nothing disintegrates in the basement. So we know that that's gonna be addressed later, but they may just wanna throw themselves into work. And even corporations tell us this, you've had a restructuring, just put your head down and keep working. That's often what they tell us, but that doesn't work for everyone. In fact, that can lead to incredible burnout, unbelievable stress, and total overwhelm. So for a lot of people, they need to address that grief right away. They need to have, you know, their, their projects need to be reprioritized. We can't assume that grievers are going to be able to perform in the same way in that moment. It, it may be temporary, but they, they've got a new job. They've got an entirely new job, which is grieving. And we have to be, be willing to shift things around and honor that. So those are just things to think about in the corporate environment, um, because so often we just want to push ahead, push ahead, just focus. There's performance metrics that we need to hit, right? People will say that. Well, life happens, people. And unfortunately, so does death. And when death happens, we may need to adjust for a little bit.
0: Well, Leslie, I'm feeling really grateful for the work that you're doing to support companies to make life less awful for grieving people. And also, you know, knowing even though you're not directly working with those who are grieving, you're making such a difference in their lives. And for listeners who are tuning in and want to get connected with your work, learn more, like what's the best way for them to reach out and find out more about what you're doing?
1: Oh, thank you, Jana. Um, our website is agriefwarrior.com. And then same with our socials. So um, you can find us on Twitter at agriefwarrior or follow me on LinkedIn. Leslie S. Barber is um, where you can find me there. And I post a lot about um, different topics related to the workplace. Um, but home base is agriefwarrior. And then we also have Heartfelt, which is actually our brand for grievers and sympathizers, um, we have sympathy gifts and a digital course coming, and that
0: is heartfelt sympathy.gifts.
1: So um, a griever can find some more information there. Great.
0: Well, listeners, as always, I'll put all that in the show notes. But Leslie, thank you again for your repeat performance on Grief Out Loud, your third time with us. I feel like every time I learn so much more from you. So grateful for your time today. Oh, thank you, Jana. I'm so grateful to be able to have these conversations with you.
1: And thank you just so much for what you do at the Dougie Center and as well on this amazing podcast. Appreciate you.
0: And listeners, I say it every, every single time. Thank you for being part of our community, for tuning in, for sharing the show, for making the work that we're doing meaningful. If you would like to share with me what the show means to you, you can reach me directly at griefoutloud at Dougie, D-O-U-G-Y dot And if you're new to our show, you can find all of our past episodes wherever you're listening currently or at our website, D-O-U-G-Y dot O-R-G. Thanks again for listening. We hope you'll join us again next time.